thanks for tuning in to the Midweek Conversation. In this podcast, I'll be joined by some of the other site pastors to reflect on the preach from Sunday and talk about how we can practically apply some of the things that were mentioned in it. So let's get started. Hey, it's nice to be back. Uh, yeah, oh, it's, it's good to have you back. It's, uh, you, you let me run rogue last week. <laughs> well, what can I say? Uh, I needed someone to cover and you did a good job. <laughs> I did listen back to it, I'll be honest, uh, just to check it was legit and that you guys did well. I enjoyed it. It was fun. It was nice being a listener. The um, <laughs> I I got to admit, I enjoyed hearing about Dave's dreadlocks. I did have to do a bit of a Facebook stalk to see if I could find some pictures of that. Did you find a picture? No, I didn't. I didn't see anything. Oh, I need man. him to share it. I have I've seen I have seen a picture and it's not a good look. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully Which I can take that. It's unsurprising. Let's no, be it's honest. True. It's true. I would have never thought Dave Kemp and dreadlocks would have been a combination that would work. Um, it's true. I was a bit sad. I was quite sad to miss your conversation about inspirational movies. I know you were talking about Coach what, Carter. What would, you, and what would you have brought in? I was thinking about this. I was thinking how, for me, it's got to be Chariots of Fire and Forrest Ooh, Gump. Strong. Those oh. two films. If I watch those two films, I'm like, I'm putting my trainers on. I'm going out for a run. Going for a run. Um, and you're just not going to stop. No, no, I'm just going to keep running. <laughs> just um, keep going. Oh, yeah. that's cool. You know, what? I've never seen Chariots of Fire. <gasps> What? Stop the pod. Stop the yeah, pod. Yeah, go, go watch, watch it that now. film. It is a classic. Yeah, it is. I know. Oh. I might have a copy of it. I'll have to send it your way. I'll put it in the post this afternoon. It may, you know, don't waste the postage. Don't have a DVD player. <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> sorry. sorry. I'm living in the past, Paul. I was going to say, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm the modern generation, mate. The modern streaming oh. generation. No way to play DVDs or VHSs. <laughs> VHF. No, what? VHS? VHF. <laughs> I can't remember what they're called. Oh dear. Just call them video. I, I, I think I'm going to cut that part out. <laughs> wow. Well, um, yeah. So anyway, so James obviously continued our series in in the book of James. James. Real Faith. <laughs> I always find that an awkward one. Um, yeah. Uh, Real Faith. Walks in humility is how, what he called the mm. talk. And um, do you want to hear something funny? I was... Um, I had off the back of James's talk and he mentioned he shared the story of Hosea because it mm. came up in his in his passage and and I you know I'll be honest I wouldn't say I know the book of Hosea off the you know from memory it wouldn't be my go-to book of the bible Ian Douglas. Uh, I know I'll be honest it's the only one I don't know off the top of my head <laughs> but but um anyway so I thought you know after listening to his talk I thought I'll just flick through read through Hosea so I was reading through, and like he said, you know, the first couple of chapters, they talk about Hosea um, marrying Goma, and he loves her, but she doesn't love him, and she's quite unfaithful. And then I got to chapter three, and the title of chapter three is Hosea's Reconciliation with His Wife. And this is what verse one says. Verse one says, The Lord said to me, Go, show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites. And this is the bit I found really funny. I don't know if it's okay to find this funny. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. <laughs> I've never found that in the... No one's ever taught me about the sacred raisin the cakes sacred before. Raisin cake. What is that? And the problems... With, I don't know, mate. And it's just, it was just these... Uh, it's just this thing about the unfaithfulness of the Israelites. And obviously I got that they, um, they turn to other gods... But you've got to hold that alongside. And they love the sacred raisin cakes. Raisin cake. I mean, what were these cakes? I'm not sure. But all I know is that it's, it's, high, it's highlighting 
a real gap in both of our theological knowledge. Well, we don't teach we on don't this know stuff. What this is. No, we don't. No. Um, if anyone knows uh, who's listening, <laughs> please write in and help I'm us. I'm sure there'll be someone that can help us work out what that's about. But there's just moments, isn't there? Sometimes when you're reading oh, the Bible, I'm like, does it actually say that? Yeah, no, I love those small moments in scripture. So if you're listening and you're eating the sacred raisin cakes, Cake. put it down. Time to repent. <laughs> Time to repent. Uh, well, why don't we just start to reflect and unpack on what James was actually talking about on Sunday. Um, <laughs> yeah, not the raisin cake. <laughs> we'll park the raisin cakes. Um, but, he, you know, a large part of what he was talking about was this idea of conflict. Um, looking around this subject, you know, the passage starts with that question, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Um, and then James starts to talk about these two kinds of conflict, um, these responses that we can have, worldly mm. conflict and godly conflict. Um, and it got me thinking, got me thinking about when I did the pre-marriage course with Soph, obviously before we were married, and there's a session on conflict and you're asked to um, choose whether you are, when it comes to conflict, whether you're a rhino or a hedgehog. You know, do you charge right into conflict yeah. and just go for it? Or do you curl up in a ball and try and uh, stay clear of it at all times? And um, I don't know, which one do you find yourself being, Paul? Well, probably more, well, not probably, more often the hedgehog, okay. you know, I think as, as is often the way with like, probably most Brits, we don't love conflict as a, as a nation. And so I tend to, I tend to prefer to avoid it if I have to, but I think I have realised over the years, mm. you, you have to do conflict. Yeah. And so it kind of end up going into it. And you know, like, I think the hedgehog rhino thing is helpful enough as a first step, but I don't think it's the most helpful way of understanding mm. it because it's only one or the other. Yeah. And going, well, actually, sometimes <laughs> I'm like, you know, I'm one, you know, I'm a hedgehog until the fight goes too long. And then I'm like, boom, now I'm a rhino. Oh. It's like, I'm coming straight in. Okay. It's like, now it's on type thing. Exactly. That uh, is exactly me. I am, um, I will usually try and avoid some conflict. And then when it's ready for, when the battle takes place, I'm like, come on, I'm a rhino now. Let's go. Let's do let's this. Go. Let's get it finished. You thought I was a hedgehog. That was a ploy. <laughs> yeah. It was a ploy. Here I come. I was a rhino Just. in disguise. <laughs> no, but sometimes it can feel like that, can't yeah. it? And also I think it's like, it can be a bit unhelpful because, you know, some people will be only one of those things in all scenarios, but a lot of people will be, you know, a hedgehog maybe in like, their family relationships mm. with their parents and their friends, but actually put them in a work context yeah. and they become a bit of a rhino. Or, you know, the the flip reverse, they're actually with their family, they're a real rhino, like super stubborn, boom, very direct. But in every other scenario, they kind of avoid it. So it, it's not the most helpful. And also they're both negative. And so <laughs> yeah, it kind of paints true. this picture as like the only two ways that you have of, of doing conflict are both bad, which, you know, most people don't know how to do conflict well. That's, that's one of the problems because we're not really taught at a young age how to do it. it often what happens is we just learn from how it's modeled to us and that's sometimes good sometimes bad but we never really get sat down and, and taught it's not taught in school it wasn't taught in my school you know how do you do this and actually so much of life is about doing conflict and yeah. navigating relationships and you can be set up for success so much more in that if you've got a bit more of a, a framework to go about it. Yeah. And ultimately, like your two options are not being a hedgehog <laughs> and Ryan, it's like those are not the only two options. There <laughs> are true. other options to do it. Like doing it well is possible. Yeah, yeah. And, that, and that's why I thought it was great that that's part of the angle that James took on Sunday as he was mm. unpacking this passage because I think you're right. I think it's really good for us to to take a moment and reflect on, well, 
how do I respond in moments of conflict? You know, are there aspects of the way that I respond that are good and are there aspects that aren't so good? And I think we can all um, take the opportunities to try and grow in this area and do it better. Um, Mm. And I know that conflict is something that you teach on in the LY, in the leadership leadership year that you run throughout... um, and also, obviously, as a pastor, as a site pastor, you know, we deal with issues of conflict all the time. So, <laughs> yeah. um, so I wondered, I just, it'd be great to um, just to ask your advice, whether you have any thoughts that you could share about how we can try and grow in doing conflict better. Yeah, I mean, you know what, this is a massive topic. And so I think in one podcast, like we're just going to scratch the surface to, to pull out a few things you know, ultimately, the starting point that I often tell people is, and I, I heard this when I was on discipleship school many years ago, but conflict is the price we pay for intimacy. And the reality is conflict is tough, but it is so worth it. Like that, you, you can't really have a deep friendship or a deep relationship with someone where there's deep levels of trust without at some point needing to do conflict with them. Because, you know, as James highlighted so well, like in community, you hurt people, like people hurt each other, you know, disagreements happen misunderstandings happen uh and and that is the reality and and the problem is often many of us go okay we don't want to deal with that conflict well now we're just going to put the defenses up and we don't want to associate with that person so much anymore we put this kind of distance between Mm us and you know i can understand why why that happens i've done that many times but the problem then is you lose this intimacy of friendship and so the only way to have a deep friendship with someone or you know in your marriage the only way to have a deep intimacy in relationship is to do conflict uh which for me is it is a good thing because it shows that there is a way to be able to have those deep trusting friendships um and ultimately if we do conflict well it can lead to really fruitful and whole relationships but it can also lead to restoring deeply broken relationships so i know there'll be people listening who are in the midst of difficulties caused by bad conflict hmm. by big arguments that just don't seem to be able to be resolved and actually doing conflict well can bring restoration even from the like most difficult marriage or the most difficult friendship like if you learn to do conflict well it can really restore it um you know one of the things that i think people have found most helpful when we talk about it and when i you know because as pastors it's not only that we're having to deal with conflict, we're also having to help coach people through it. You yeah, know, often, often a lot of pastoral situations is helping people navigate it. And one of the things that I often tell people is about mastering their story. Mm. And it's, it's this recognition that we tell, our sto- we tell ourselves stories about each situation. So an event occurs and what happens is we write the backstory without knowing. So, you know, it might be, let's say, next week you don't invite me onto the podcast and I don't do the podcast with you. It might happen, Paul. It might happen. It may well happen. And, you know, it probably needs to at some <laughs> point. <laughs> but, you know, like, let's say that's that happens. Now, often, the knee-jerk reaction is that I then write a story in my mind of, oh, well, oh, you know what? I just don't think Ian actually wants me to do the story, you know, do the pod. I think... You know, I didn't share to you all over the last few weeks. And I think he was just looking for, a, you know, been looking for a way to get out. You know, he, he la- only asked me last minute about this one. Mm. And then suddenly what happens is we start to write this story that paints this big picture that we don't even know if it exists. Mm. And the problem then comes is we write this narrative. We decide people's motives. 
without knowing and then we justify our actions because of it and we often put the blame on other people within it we go well, this is his fault for whatever it might be and we've created this big scenario that then we have to respond to and it's actually no you know what the first thing we need to do is we need to re- recognize what story we're telling ourselves mm. and stop it before it writes the whole narrative so you know let's take that example you don't invite me onto the pod uh, this is probably not the best example because we basically do it together each week. <laughs> but uh, you know, but for all intents and purposes, you don't invite me on. Now, if I if I begin to recognise myself writing that story of oh well, you know, Ian has kind of wanted me off the pod for a while, you know, or okay, maybe a better example is, you know, a friend doesn't invite you out for coffee or for a walk and yeah. invite another friend and it's like oh well, okay they just don't want to spend time with me i know those two are better friends like i'm on the edge and we started writing that story the, the great thing that we can do is just stop ourselves at that moment and go well we don't know that's true mm-hmm. what would it look like to assume the best of those people in that scenario what would it look like to go well like maybe they just wanted to have a chat the two of them and there's actually nothing more to it it's not that i'm on the edge of that friendship and suddenly it stops this vicious cycle that creates all this bitterness and tension between people. And if you can do that often, that alleviates the need to do conflict. But also then when you go in to do the conflict, you're not coming at it with all of these false notions. Because so often what then happens is if you've written this long story of, well, you know, they don't really like me as friends. They're always hanging out together. You know, I'm on the edge. They don't care about me. They, they never really have cared. Like... You're going in loaded with all of this stuff that isn't necessarily true. And now you're doing conflict about this made up stuff. It's just, and then that person is receiving this going, I I just just went for a walk with my friend. How has this got to this? And it's this massive, whereas actually if you go into it and you go, oh, you know, actually I do feel a bit upset that I wasn't invited to that. Is that a genuine, like, is that just something I need to process with the Lord? Or is there a genuine thing where this does seem to be affecting our friendship and, I do need to communicate something in this world. But what I'm doing is I'm communicating about the actual events that have happened, not the narrative I have written. Does that make sense? Yeah, I know I, I kind like of that. probably jumped about with the examples and maybe not in the most helpful way. No, I thought that was really helpful. I think that's so true. I mean, how easy is it when something happens to start to work, try and, you know, put into place reasons why we think that's happened, the motives. We fill in the blank for somebody of the motives. Yeah. And you're right, that's often... I think that's often why we find ourselves in arguments and moments of conflict. We don't really know what we're arguing about because so much of what we've built it around probably isn't true. And like you say, we can catch people blindsided or be blindsided by other people because actually what is being, what the conflict is about isn't actually Mm -hmm. factual. I thought um, I really liked what James said about the importance of taking a moment to just pause. Um, I know that when I'm writing a preach and when I'm delivering a preach, I often put my script, I literally write pause because I know that I need to pace myself better. Otherwise, it's yeah. just a ramble on nonstop. So I literally write pause in there. And I know that when I've come to conflict, something I've had to grow in and learn to do is to try and have a mental, like, pause. Ian, stop. <laughs> Don't speak immediately. <laughs> Don't <Yeah>. speak. And <laughs> yeah. it, take, it, you know, it takes us back to um, the second talk in this series that Alice did on being quick to listen and slow to speak Mm. or slow to speak quick to listen and just um i know that's something for me as an extrovert someone that wants to like just put their opinions across often probably think i'm right when i'm in the middle of a conflict i'm like my opinion's right you need to hear me but to actually pause and then to listen and to think about what i'm gonna say and to think about Mm. what the other person's saying that's for me something that's been a big 
it's something I've been learning to do and something I'm continuing to learn to do. That's, that's so good. And I think that helps set up, and for me, another key mm. in how we do conflict because that pause helps us reevaluate what's the intention that we're going in here. Mm, and so good. one of the things that, you know, I definitely do not always do this perfectly, but we definitely, you know, we teach on LY and try and coach people through is don't do the conflict until your goal is restoration. Mm. So the, the danger is, or the problem is, often we, we're going into conflict because we want to make the other person know how much they hurt us and we actually are really annoyed with them and our desire in the conflict is sometimes actually just to hurt the other person. Mm. It's like, I want to show you how flawed you are because, you know, especially like, you know, the close relationships of like marriage, you know, it's like Claire and Harvey, you know, fights over something. It's like, I just, I'm, I'm so annoyed with you. I want to show you like this. And actually you're going into this conflict, not with a heart for restoration, mm. not with a heart for the other person's best. You're going in to be like, well, I want to show you how much you've hurt me and how, like, how bad a person you are in this area and look how good I am now look don't get me wrong people understanding how much they have hurt you is an important part of the restoration process but the heart behind us entering conflict has to be restoration of the relationship Mm. otherwise the angle that we're coming at it is always going to be I'm going to try to tear you down whereas actually if you're coming from the angle of like you know what I want the best for this relationship I want us to thrive opening up about about the pain you've felt is much less attacking because the problem is what ends up happening is you coming in and you're attacking 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 mm. and all that happens is their defenses go up and no good conflict happens because they're going well you are just killing my character here or you're highlighting every flaw i feel so you know offended in this moment that the natural response is to be defensive mm. and you know what i try and do in conflict is set the conversation up for success yeah. It's like, how is this most likely going to go well for both of us and get the desired outcome of restoration? And so what I, you know, what I try and do in my life and what I say to people is, if you are not ready to communicate for restoration, if your goal is to still like, you know, kind of bite the head off, you need to go process that with the Lord first, mm-hmm. process that with a trusted friend and get to a place where you can actually come back to that conflict and do it well. Because otherwise it's never going to end well. It's never going to end well. Yeah. And that brings us back to this whole thing James spoke about this battle between pride and humility. Like, mm. am I going into this conflict because my pride has been hurt <laughs> or because I've hum- I'm humbling myself and I'm saying I want this relationship to be restored and to move mm. forwards? Or, or I want the best for this person. Yeah, yeah. You know, I want to highlight this area I've seen. And, you know, so it could be, you know, Claire's like highlighted plenty of stuff you know, in me <laughs> over our marriage. It's like, this isn't the best. And you know what? It's it, actually the heart behind that is I want the best for you. Yeah. So I want to help you see this area that you're not quite pulling your weight or you're dropping the ball here because I want you to be, the, you know, better, not because I want you to feel rubbish about who you are. Yeah, yeah. And I think on that whole um, way that we go into conflict, I think something I've been trying to learn and grow in is to stop um, going in with you. You do this, you do that, you never do this, you never do that. Yeah. And to learn to speak about I and me rather than you in conflict. Because Mm. all we're doing when we're just throwing these arrows of accusation is just putting the blame on that person, saying you're the problem, you're the reason this isn't working. And trying to, you know, articulate and explain how I felt or or where I'm coming from without trying to put the blame on that person. That's so good. And that is such a key part of doing conflict well. I mean, like, firstly... 
never say never and never say <laughs> yeah. always. Like I call them word bombs when I talk about it. Like because you know, if it's something like, oh, you know, you never put dishes in the dishwasher and that always frustrates me. It's like, but that's just not true. And then what ends up happening is the debate becomes around the, you know, the pedancy of, well, I have put the dishwashers in three, like three weeks ago, I did it one evening. So I have done it. You know, it's like, yeah. it's, it is just never helpful. As you said, it's like these arrows of accusation. Yeah. It's like, boom, because that's just almost never going to be the case that someone always does something, mm. you know, so I just say to do comfortable, like take those words off of the, of, and you can use words like, hey, you, you know, you're often doing this or mm-hmm. it feels like, you know, most of the time. And then like you said as well, not coming in with that attacking angle, but it can be more of, you know, it can feel a bit fluffy. This is the thing with doing conflict well, when you're not used to it, it can feel a bit but fluffy, but it's, it's how you actually mm-hmm. set it up for success. And it's doing things like saying, you know, a helpful phrase I've, I find is, you know, when you do this, this is how it comes across mm-hmm. to me or this is how it makes me feel, or this is like how I interpret it. That's because cool. again, what it's doing is it, it's, it's not assuming the worst in their intentions. Because rather than going, well, you make me feel belittled when you say that. You know, like, so we can have that conversation, you know, in a meeting, it's like, mm-hmm. I could be like, oh, hey Ian, you know, you, make, you just make me feel so belittled when you talk over me mm-hmm. and come up, like kind of shut my idea down. That, that, that doesn't happen. Sorry, I'm just, this is an example. Uh, I thought as you were saying that, I was thinking, man, I do that all the time. <laughs> just shutting <laughs> no. down your ideas just... left, right and centre. <laughs> well, because they're all so bad. It's like, no, <laughs> stop wasting time. But no, but like, that's not at all. But you know, I could come at it with that angle. Uh-huh. But what I'm doing is I'm assuming the worst in you. I'm being like, well, you're wanting to shut me down. You don't care about me. Whereas if I came to you, I was like, Hey dude, can I just say, you know, last number of meetings we've been in, it's been a few moments that you have come out, like talked over me. And when that happens, mm. it like, I feel belittled and it makes me not want to share anymore. Mm. And what's happening is I'm articulating. There are differences in our personalities. Some people really thrive in a round table debate where you just like, you don't wait to kind of share your idea. Everyone jumps in. Like that was very much my family growing mm. dinner table growing up, like talk about politics, talk religion, I'd like, be really heated. And you, you know, you could have this big heated discussion and everyone was kind of happy with it, but not every environment is like that. And so then when you're with someone who goes, well, if you talk over me, I'll, I'll just stop talking. That doesn't mean that you are totally in the wrong for talking over them. It just means you've got a different personality type and a different way of doing conversations. Mm. And so when you come at it with that angle of, hey, when you do this, this is how I interpret it. It's also acknowledging that there might be something in me that isn't right in the way I interpret it. Because often with conflict, it's our own stuff that causes the problem. So it's like, you know, an off, uh, offhand comment from someone hits this deep nerve yeah. in us. And actually what they have said isn't offensive isn't bad like you know they were just saying something totally innocently and it's hit a steep nerve and then the danger is we go right into that and we're like well, hey you made me feel like this and you're terrible but it's like actually going you know i'm aware that hit a nerve mm. i i just want to you know for our friendship i want you to know this so that you can help me through it yeah and that's where that's where it's like conflict is the price we pay for intimacy because yeah. you can't have that kind of deep friendship unless you articulate that because otherwise what happens is you just feel hurt by that person yeah. and you push them away and then there's this distance and bitterness between you it's that acknowledgement of going I know that I've got a part to play in this actually probably my mess is, is, is blowing this up to be a much bigger thing than it is but hey as a friend can you know that so that maybe you can help me by not doing that thing mm-hmm. that is triggering me in this way until I can like process it and get through it yeah. Does that make sense? Oh, that's so good. I mean, what I'm hearing there is saying, you're saying, don't say to someone, you always do this. 
say to them nine out of ten times, <laughs> you do this. <laughs> yeah, I'm pre- not saying much. always, but 99% of the time. <laughs> I'm not saying always, but I can't remember the last time that you didn't do it. <laughs> you just got to flip it around. Flip no, it around. That, that is really good. That's really helpful. And I think you're so right. I think the danger is that if we're if we're fearful of doing conflict and trying to do conflict well, we will just become resentful, we'll become hurt, we'll pile up um, mm. all of these things. You know, at the end of our service on Sunday, when we were in the ministry time, someone had a picture, um, which I thought was really profound, of like an abacus, of somebody that was just like, when it comes to conflict, they were like just totting up these like records of, oh, this person hurt me, I'm just going to add another bead to that <laughs> side, I'm just going to add another yeah. one, I'm going to add another one. And just the danger is if we never confront someone in a healthy way and do what you've just explained about telling someone how you feel when they do something in order to Mm. find reconciliation in order to bring restoration the danger is we just become separated we become hurt and we just distance ourselves um Mm. that's not what we're made for no it's not and you know the reality is that and this is probably an important point for people to hear in this you're not going to do deep conflict with everyone no it's true you know it's like there's kind of obviously there are levels of conflict you have with friends that are at different kind of levels with you you know if you've got someone who you know an acquaintance feels a bit harsh to say but you know it's a bit more of like oh you know it's a friend you know you see them at church on a sunday you're not particularly close you don't do much of life together and they've made an offhand comment a passing comment that has really struck you it's like that that might be something you can go talk to them about, but it also might be just something you need to go process with the Lord and, and let slide. But there's a big difference between, the, you know, your good friends, mm. who it's like, these are the people that ultimately could be friends for life and could be brothers and sisters in Christ that encourage us in the faith and make us look more like Jesus and love us through the good times and bad times, show us the Father's heart by showing us grace, all of that stuff. And that's what we lose when we don't do it. Or marriages that break up yeah. because... They can't do, can't do conflict. Um, and so, yeah, it's just, I think, important for people to hear. It's not something that you should go out now and just say to every single person, you know, <laughs> anything. It's like, because that would probably be a little bit bizarre. So you kind of use common sense yeah. in it. That'd be an exhausting um, day, wouldn't it? Just like, oh, I'm going to do conflict with everybody that every, I need to do conflict with. Every single person. Oh, totally. Um, and I think, you know, just something else to throw into the mix, you know, the title of James's talk was Walk in Humility. Yeah walks in humility and again i think one of the most important things with doing conflict well is coming at it humbly yeah. and sorting out our own heart and our own mess and knowing that so often it takes two to tango yeah you know obviously there will be a few scenarios where one person is totally in the wrong but most like relationship conflict and like marriage conflict and close friendship conflict it's a two-way street mm-hmm. like we're not perfect going into it. And so, again, if you're going in with the heart of like, I just want to change this person, you know, yeah. you totally need to change. Like, that's not really the right heart because it's not being humble and going, actually, I know that I've got a part to play in this. You know, I, I need to change my heart. I need to maybe change the way that I'm receiving something. You know, that was a big thing Claire and I had in our first couple of years of marriage mm. is she, like just this kind of real difference of communication style and her kind of having to come part of the way, but me also having to come part of the way and going, yeah. I, I need to know that when you communicate in this way, like, this isn't bad. Like, we just communicate differently. And I need to hear that with the heart that you're sharing it with. Do you know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. both ways. Whereas 
you know, for a little while the, the tension was because we weren't kind of making that journey where both of us need to make a bit of a change. It was like, well, you need to make the change and you need to make the change. Uh, ultimately, it's both of us. Yeah. And that's how, that's how you bring reconciliation. And so I think, you know, for anyone listening who's maybe in the midst of a conflict or midst of a, a tricky relationship and is basically going at it with the heart of, well, that person just needs to change. Potentially, the most likely thing is both of you need to change. And until both of you do change and have that humility of heart, reconciliation is going to be super difficult. Yeah, yeah. There was a great, um, there was a quote that James said in his talk, uh, which was, the way that we deal with conflict is determined by the degree that we learn to live in godly humility. Mm. I thought that was such a profound kind of, you know, the degree that we're willing to do conflict and do it well is dependent on how well we embrace that humility that you just spoke about and mm. that James spoke about on Sunday. Um, and just, you know, just in finishing, if we've got time, if we've got time to just discuss, is um, one of the ways that James spoke about growing in humility was this idea of repentance. And, you know, repentance isn't something we probably talk about all the time. I wouldn't say it's it's not the most sexy element of Christian faith. <laughs> and, you know, it's probably not a term or a practice that you know, people are like, oh yeah, I just want to repent. Um, and I'd say, you know, outside of church, it's not a word that's ever used as mm. far as I'm aware. So I just thought it'd be helpful just to have a quick chat around what do we mean when we're talking about repentance and what do you understand repentance to look like in the way that we do it? You know, I think that's such a, a key part of this. And, you know, for me, I see re- repentance as this acknowledgement of of my wrong and this moment where it's like lord i'm not going to make excuses mm. i i can see that i'm wrong and i i want to come and I, I ask for forgiveness you know there's the understanding of like turning around turning from one way to another way mm. and like you said it's not a word we use loads but it's actually an amazingly powerful part of the christian faith that we would do this and you know what it's it's such a key part of doing conflict well we're talking about conflict because ultimately it starts in that moment where we go before the Lord and we go, Lord, I know that I don't deserve your grace. Like, yeah. I know I've messed up here, here and here and like my attitude is wrong here and I've been living on with worldly wisdom in this area and I come and I repent and then we receive his grace. Mm. It enables us to do conflict well because we're going, actually, you know what? I'm covered by grace. Like I, I know that I'm not perfect, mm. but actually like the God, you know, the, the the God who we worship comes in and welcomes us with open arms and covers us in grace and forgiveness and mercy. And so we go, okay, right, Lord, I don't need to make excuses. Mm. And I think once we start to get that and see that in our relationship with God and actually engage in repentance, which is something in the West we are not good at doing, mm. it starts to breed that godly humility where we go, well, I know that I'm only here from by his grace. And so then suddenly it we become more able to enter into that into relationships and repentance is so key where we where we just say you know I'm 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 going to admit I'm wrong actually when someone brings something up you know the best thing actually is to, to apologize before they bring it up yeah. you know but let's say like Claire highlights something or you highlight something to me or whoever it might be it's that moment where you go oh actually right I'm not going to put my defenses up because I know that I'm covered by grace mm. and right okay hey you know what? I'm really sorry that is so like let me apologize and let me try and make amends. And what I found, you know, that is a really vulnerable thing to do to not put up excuses. But actually when you do that and someone then shows you grace and forgiveness, like it has overwhelmed me because it's, it's, 
made me understand even more God's grace towards me. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, I just experienced like a tiny glimpse of this in this friendship or this in my marriage. How much more say is that the case with God and us? And yeah, I think it's just this, it's this beautiful thing. Now, a quick thing on apologizing is that it, you've got to own it. Yeah. So none of this like half apology where it's like, oh, okay, well, so sorry that I got cross, but you were just really annoying. So that's not an apology. That's just another attack. Like you just you've used the sorry to kind of be this like you know it's like a it's like a dummy punch, isn't it? It's yeah. like, oh, I'm just going to throw the oh, and then I've come in with the, the like the right hook. Not like no, and say so, you know if in trusted friendships, like call each other out if it's like hey, that's not an apology, you know, and just be aware of it in yourself. I'm sorry, but yeah, just cut out the but yeah, just be like okay, like, I'm really sorry. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't necessarily explain mm-hmm. how you've come to decision, but you separate that from the yeah. from the apology and from the making, like, then becomes an, ex- an excuse. Because yeah. ultimately that excuse normally is a blame back to that person. Yeah, that's so helpful. I think what you said there about we have to take ownership. You know, we can't trade in what we don't take ownership for. Mm. And um, I think it's so important to just draw the link there between you know, there's repentance before God. And I think that's how we often talk about repentance in the in the context of the Christian life is we stand before God and we repent of our sins and we ask for forgiveness and we, we welcome his grace when we receive it. Um, and we turn that, that 180 degree turn that you talked about. And we say, I know what I did before was wrong, but I want to live differently now. Mm. And I think we, ca- as you said, we practice that in the presence of the Lord, and we carry that into our relationships. And as we, as we've talked today about seeking restoration and seeking reconciliation, I think we have to have that that mindset of repentance as we come before another person. I mean, it's the it's almost like the ultimate expression of humility, isn't it? To be able to mm. stand before someone and say, "I'm sorry," without having that next thing lined up. That is. That is a picture of humility before someone um, mm. when it comes to conflict. Um, May it's been so, it's been really helpful just to take what James spoke about on Sunday and just talk about <laughs> it a bit more. And yeah, I think, sure. I hope people that are listening will have found it helpful. I just know this area of conflict, particularly at this time, we're in the middle of, uh, we're still in the middle of this lockdown crisis and people will be at home spending intense periods of time with loved ones, away from loved ones. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a weird environment to be in and, and you know, it's conflict and tension and all these feelings can be stirring up at the moment. So I hope that everything we've talked about and unpacked today just helps to give some pa- practical tips on, on what you can do. Um, yeah. We will, we will try and learn how to wrap up a podcast one of these days. <laughs> one day, one day we'll nail it. One day I'll know how to finish the podcast. Anyway, mate, we'll be back mate, next that's week. That's great. And, um, yeah. Back stronger. Back stronger. That's right. Amen. <laughs>